Welcome to part two of this out-of-line discussion with Lucy Fagans. All right, so tell me about uh, the history of the design files and social media. Um, did the blog come first? Yeah, we've been blogging for a long time now. We started, we're actually 10 this year, so we started in 2008. Uh, so yeah, when we first started, there was no Instagram. Uh, we were on Facebook in a pretty basic way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, social media has become a massive part of what we do now. So yeah, we've been on Instagram pretty much since it started. Uh, and yeah, it was such a different time back then. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. When you say we, was it was it more than just you when you first started? No, I shouldn't really say that. I'm, I'm used to saying we because now I have a little team. So now we're six people. Um, but no, when I started, it was just me. And it was just me for like three years. And that with a bit of help here or there on a casual basis. And then gradually kind of now we've become a we a team yeah <laughs> um so was there ever like a big blog community in australia that you interacted with um or did you did you sort of have like a community of other bloggers or interior people um either in australia or around the world no there wasn't really much of a community around blogging creatively when i started in australia so i was looking at a lot of international blogs so i was a huge fan of design sponge back in the days and still am uh, and some other more architectural sites like uh, Moco Loco and Apartment Therapy and those kind of sites. So I was looking at a lot of international blogs and there really wasn't anything in Australia that was, there were no interiors or design blogs in Australia at that time. So I guess I kind of started it um, for that reason because I felt like Australia had things to say but we, we weren't necessarily telling local stories. So, yeah, I didn't really have a community around me at the start because it really was a pretty niche thing to be doing then. But I did connect with some international bloggers. So I connected with Grace Bonnie and we've met like once or twice and we occasionally email, um, which is really cool. Like I still think of like her as like the big cheese when it comes to design blogging. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but, you know, we're pretty Australia's small. We don't have those big numbers, but. Yeah, now there's a much bigger community around it, I guess, than there was when I started. Mm. So what is that like to start something new in a place like Australia that is a bit smaller? And how does social media play into that, if at all? Well, like Instagram was massive when it started. We we grew really quickly on Instagram. And of course, that, that was a time when it was like the golden age of Instagram where everyone was seeing everything and, and all the followers were growing really fast and everyone was getting really excited. And it was, I remember being addicted to Instagram and looking at it all constantly. And, uh, you know, it's changed over time, which is pretty much inevitable. Um, but the design files is a publication. Our value is based on the number of people we reach. So really initially Instagram was like, you know, quadrupling the number of people we're reaching. And so every story we would shoot or we would, you know, every person we would profile would, would be shared across all the various channels, Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest. And you know, what it meant was, you know, if we were getting 10,000 people a day to our website, we were still getting, you know, potentially four times that seeing our content across social, which was a really good thing. Uh, it, it's, now it's kind of, it's changed a lot and, and I'm really conscious now we've still got a big following, but, um, due to recent changes on Instagram, we don't, um, reach everyone that follows us anymore with every post. 
but I'm I'm kind of getting to a point now where I'm actually accepting that and and trying not to be distracted by Instagram. I don't want Instagram to become something that we focus on above and beyond the content we produce for our website. And I think it's really easy to get distracted by it. It's a very kind of sticky thing that we're constantly looking at and that is buzzing all the time, but it's distracting and you don't want to generate, I mean, we're content creators and I don't want to generate content that is just made with Instagram in mind, you know, and, and I think that would be a really, especially given the changes we've seen on Instagram lately, that's a mistake because that I don't own those followers really that fo that choose to follow us on Instagram, you know, Instagram has them and I think it's really important for anyone to make sure they've got their own email list, they've got their own website, they've got other places to, to be who they want to be without having to play by those rules constantly. So um, yeah, and the other thing is, you know, Instagram is responsible for about 10% of our website traffic. It's just okay number, but it's not massive. So when I spend half a day talking with my staff about Instagram, I'm like, let's not spend 50% of our day on something that is 10% of our traffic, you know, that doesn't make sense. And, and it's really easy to get really caught up in social media and distracted by it. But I think you've, yeah, you've got to kind of look at it a bit more in perspective. So mm, yeah, that is interesting. If it's, if it's 10% and you're spending 50% on it. And I wonder how much that is for other people as well. Cause I know, like you said, it's been very disruptive, um, to people's traffic. Um, if, if they're a brand, if they're a blogger, if they're a photographer, um, to watch their numbers. I was looking back in my feed a couple of years ago and my engagement was so high and I didn't have the same number of followers. I didn't even have as many followers, but my engagement was higher. And I was like, Oh, that's so sad. But to get caught up on that kind of means that, um, you can almost lose, focus on the the core yeah. that's actually there and where they're coming from and even just it can suck the energy of doing good work yeah and I think the people who are doing good work are still getting noticed whether or not their engagement is really high yeah I think as well it it changes the content you want to make because you know what's going to go well on Instagram what's going to go better than you know other things and then that's why Instagram becomes homogenous because everyone you know it's you know, faces do better. So it's all about selfies or, you know, girls in bikinis or, you know, that that's, I think it's really sad when it starts to, uh, affect the kind of content that we're making, you know, like we, we, we started what we were doing for a certain reason to cover a certain type of content and we shouldn't change it just for those clicks and likes, I think. So, yeah, I think I'm trying now to not so much play the game and we need to be everywhere we can't not be on instagram but but we want to do it our way and um yeah so that's where i'm at at the moment with it anyway and i agree with you I, we've had the same thing in terms of more engagement like two years ago when we had less followers uh, but i guess i take some um like i take i think there's something to be said for the fact that it's really affecting everyone the same so yes you're not where you were five or ten years ago but neither is your competitor so you know we, we just went for the next thing aren't we mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah no snaps for that it's so true we're all in the same boat so yeah everybody's in it together so with you as the design files because you are the design files even though now you have there's six of you um how much of you as Lucy and your own self do you put into your brand and how much do you keep private? Uh, yeah, it's funny. Like I have become an influencer of sorts and I used to kind of wrestle with that term because I would always be like, we've got a whole website, we've got all these contributors. It's not just, 
you know, I, I didn't want to be labeled as just an influencer, but I've kind of decided to uh, accept that and also to kind of um, reclaim it a bit because I figure, well, this is a point of difference that we have as a publication because there are more anonymous style websites that just cover design news in a more anonymous but still authoritative way, but they don't have a face behind them. And I think currently having a face behind the design files is quite valuable and I think um, it helps us connect with our community and I think it's a good thing and it's a good point of difference. So uh, we, I've, I've accepted that and um, yeah, so now, you know, a lot of our income comes from partnerships with brands, advertising and sponsorship with different brands and inevitably they do want me as a person to be a part of some of what we do. They want my face on things, they want me to go to events, they want people to see me where, you know, um, at events that they're running and so yeah I, it's kind of become a part of um, the job and I see it very much as a, a necessary thing uh, and I must say we do see really good engagement from it like people love to see the person behind the, the site and the person behind the Instagram and, and to see the human part of what you're doing so I do that um, you asked me before about my um, daughter and putting my, my, my child on, on, on our social media and stuff like that and I do that a little bit. I haven't really got a big strategy around it. I've, I've spoken to my husband about it and he's cool with a certain level of, you know, sharing. Uh, to be honest, I look at it and I go, this is so not right for our brand. Like we're Australia's most popular design blog. We cover design, interiors, architecture. And so most of our Instagram will be that and there'll be great houses, great spaces, interviews with designers and artists. And then it'll be just like an Instagram story of me and my child on the weekend. And I look at it and I go, this is not on brand. And yet those are always the ones that do the best and that people, you know, really respond to. And I get 20 comments and I'm like, oh my God, we spent like all week shooting something amazing in some other city and this didn't get anywhere near the traction that me and Minnie at the playground get, you know? So I think that tells me that there's a craving for the human element. And so, um, I guess I'm pretty intuitive about what I share. Obviously I, I wouldn't choose to put her on there if she's in her bathing suit or in the bath or something, but I think she, um, and I, I guess when she gets to an age where she can really be a bit more vocal about what she wants, I'll definitely, you know, obviously respond to that. But right now, occasionally you will see my daughter's face on, her, on my Instagram and I feel like that's okay. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's interesting that it does better when, when there's your own, <laughs> when you're online. Oh, Minnie. So my daughter's called Minnie. I swear to God, she is the highest rating thing on our Instagram. I've got a whole team. Every week we sit down and say what performed best this week on Instagram, what didn't, da -da. and that's what I mean about getting distracted because you get so swept up in what does well. And then literally we will have shot the most amazing content all week and it'll be the Instagram story of myself and my daughter on the weekend that does the best. And I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> become a personal yeah. a personal shopper that's it's just your life it's just yeah. you a reality tv show yeah. that's really funny yeah i think um and i think that's why maybe uh i would say my interpretation of why podcasts are so popular now is that people are desperate for the less curated perfection of social media and blogs and they want the human element. They want authenticity and they want the intimacy of connection with who you really are, what you really sound like, what you really care about. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm really curious to see kind of how it evolves, but I'm not super surprised to hear that, that yeah. fact. It's pretty interesting. I mean, the other thing with podcasts, I think as well, aside from the connection, when you hear someone's voice, which is so powerful, as you said, I think it's a, um, 
it's it's kind of pushing back on this bite-sized content thing that we've all been you know we, we're all used to kind of generating content in this kind of shortened way that is really clickbaity and you just get what you need in a, in a quick fix and I think we're really craving kind of a longer form kind of content and stories we can connect to that you know don't just present themselves in you know 10 seconds or 140 characters or whatever mm. so I think there's a craving for a deeper story or a deeper connection with people so yeah quickies are nice but sometimes you want to go all night long <laughs> I didn't say that. That came from Caroline. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. <laughs> Your face. You're like, what did you just say? That was horrifying. That's really funny. Um, but don't you think, like, I couldn't, like, we just ran, we just launched our own podcast, actually. We're nowhere near as good as you guys. No, it's awesome. But, um, yeah, like, we ran this really fantastic, like, 40-minute interview with this really inspiring, kind of older guy here who's a... Um, city planner at city of melbourne and it was a really academic kind of discussion and there was no way i could have run that in written form on my website no one would have read it but it did really well and i think people respond to yeah the conversation and yeah so i kind of feel like it, it allows us to tell stories we actually can't otherwise tell you know which mm, is cool so cool you said before you used the word influencer and you said that you've embraced it and i want to hear more about that because in america when people say influencer um everyone just gets all bristly and they're like, so they get so upset about that word. So I want to hear what does it mean here and how have you embraced it? Well, I guess, I don't know if it means something different in the States. Being an influencer here means that you have a massive following on social media uh, and that you kind of use your channel, I guess, to commercial ends. I've embraced it because it seems to me to be transparent, actually. You know, it's like, yes, I'm getting paid. And yes, this is a commercial thing. And I think it's that that's actually quite, that's to be commended because historically, you know, Vogue magazine would just promote all the advertisers in a way that wasn't at all transparent. And then that's kind of worse, right? So I think, I don't know, I, I think there's a, as long as it is transparent and everything is um, acknowledged in terms of commercial partnerships, then I think being an influencer is just, it's just a sign of the times. It's where we're at at the moment. It's kind of, I guess, this place where real regular people are mini celebrities. And I think there's some, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think that maybe it's good when influence is in the power of many and not just in the power, sorry, that when influence is in the hands of many and not just in the hands of a few, I think in general, that could be a really good thing. Mm, I would I would agree with that. Yeah. And I think in America, the reason that people get triggered by it is because um, I think that in general, it kind of triggers like an ego a little bit where it's like, don't don't sum me up in that one word that means so many different things. Um, you know, I think some people are like, I want to be recognized as a photographer, a podcaster, a producer, an interior designer, whatever. Like, I don't want to just be summed up with this word that means advertiser like I want to be seen as all of these other things that I do and I, and so I think it's more it's more of an ego thing than it is really like anything to get upset about but I like that what you said because you're right I think the more that everyone has a little bit of power the less that there is some sort of crazy hierarchy where one person is controlling everything yeah. um so I'm with you yeah, I just think, you know, you can't fight it. You, you, you've got to kind of own it to some extent. And I mean, you know, financially for us, like publishing is, is, a, is, a, is a tough industry to be in. And I think if we've got multiple 
kind of value points and if we can say yeah there's an influencer that is part of what design files does it's not the only thing but lucy is part of it and yes we can accommodate influencer requests well to be really commercial about it that's actually that helps to keep us in business so um i think as long as you use it for good and not evil Mm. (laughs) would you ever call yourself like would you ever introduce yourself as an influencer or use that to talk about yourself or do you just not bristle when other people say it about you I wouldn't describe myself as that, no, just because I think my role is, uh, it's a lot of slashes. I guess I could put that in there, but, you know, I usually call myself an editor, um, founder and editor of, of our website. So I wouldn't call myself that, but no, I don't bristle with it. And we get a lot of inquiries specifically referring to, you know, influencer kind of, um, partnerships and, um, yeah, we, we, we just, um, we just take that as it comes. I, I, I think it's an interesting time when brands are contacting you directly to, you know, it's actually quite, an, it's a powerful position to be in, to, to be an influencer. So I'm like, I'll take it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I'm not mad about it. You're an influencer too. I How mean, I mean, I get weird when people say it, like when, when people say, and sometimes I, it feels funny when someone reaches out to me and I know the reason that they're reaching out is because they want something because of my following, but they're not a brand that's willing to pay. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when it's sort of like, oh, I just want to like, you know, slide under the radar and hope that I can get this thing. And it's like, well, I charge people for that, yeah. you know? But um, I don't I don't mind it too, too much. I kind of, I think I understand the word being kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. And I wouldn't ever introduce myself as that. I, I There was one person I went to a panel discussion and someone on the panel described like introduced themselves and one of the words that they used was was influencer and I like I made a huge frowning face and like looked around the room to see if anyone else reacted to that because I just was like whoa I've never heard anyone actually put that like on their resume it's just sort of one of those things that if if someone looks you up on social media then they're like oh you're an influencer um but it's weird it's a weird world it is weird. It's a str- it is a strange word. And yet it's actually such an accurate word. It's like, that is what it is. You're paying for influence. So in a way, I don't know, to me, it feels kind of quite, um, straightforward. Mm. Yeah. Telling it how it is. Yeah. Call a spade a bloody shovel. <laughs> <laughs> You're good with those one liners. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, so I have a I have a sponsor for my podcast this year and I'm so stoked to be working with Cat Footwear. And the reason that I love working with them is because they are all about risk taking and being super out there when it comes to being creative. Um, and so I wanna know what is it like to be um, you know, in in the industry of blogging and social media and content creation, um, when you're, when you've been in it for 10 years, um, how do you continue to push yourself to take risks? How do you continue to push yourself to be bold and, and be creative and not just kind of get stuck in like a rinse and repeat cycle? I actually feel like, as you said, I've been running the design files for 10 years now, and I almost feel like it's easier now to take a risk because not that I've got nothing to lose, but I just feel like you start to want more from your creative output as you uh, over time. So, you know, the first year or two, you're like, let's just stay afloat. And then by year four or five, you're like, maybe we can 
start to give back a bit what can we do maybe we can have some charitable partnerships or something or you know whatever you're passionate about you, you try and weave it into what you're doing and then you know by the year six or seven mark you might be looking to expand or something but now I think at the 10 year mark I'm like I've, I feel very much like I want to be proud of my work and I want to have I, I I've started to kind of have this mindset of like imagining when I'm 85 whenever I can't make a decision I'm like imagine you're 85 look back on this decision and do what your 85 year old self would advise you to do and I feel like that you can't really go wrong with that mindset so I'm at this point where I'm like a risk doesn't seem like that big of a deal after 10 years I feel like I've I've earned it and I and I think that uh it's I crave a bit more variety a bit more diversity in the work and and having a bit more of an impact than 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 I did when we were a really fledgling operation I guess so does your 85-year-old self tell you to go for it all the time? Yeah, that's the problem. She wants me to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, should I have another kid? 85-year-old self wants one. You know, should I, you know, everything. Yeah, it's basically, yes, yeah, she wants me to do everything. That's hilarious. I love it. That's so awesome. That's good. I like it. I'm going to try it for a week and I'll tell you how I go. Yeah. If I end up with two kids by next week, I'll, I'm going to be mad oh at you. <laughs> Exactly. 85-year-old self will be happy. Yeah, you won't regret it. <laughs> so what do you do when you need to just unwind and, and just, like, self-care? Is that a thing? Like, is self-care a big of a thing in in Australia as it is in America where suddenly everyone's like, oh, mental health, self-care, we need to, like, unplug? Or is Australia just better at that in general? I feel like I am seeing a bit more from American in American news feeds than, than here. I think maybe we're generally a couple of years behind you guys on those sort of trends. Uh, but it is a thing here. I think there's more talk of stuff like work-life balance is a thing people talk about a lot here. I don't know if that means kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, I guess if the question is how I do that, like what I do to look after myself, I'm not great at it and I don't believe in work-life balance actually when you work for yourself and I'm sure you say the same thing. I think if you run your own creative business, then work and life are very much intertwined and I really don't when I have to do something for work, I don't really think of it as I'm working. I just think I need to do that thing, you know? So, uh, I think I'm not great at self care. I'm, I'm a workaholic and I work a lot. Um, but now that I have a kid, that's really a good balancing thing. And I, I definitely, um, crave time with her and time away from my screens to, to be more present and more in the moment. And so my self care really centers around, boring stuff like just time with family uh and I think sleep is a big one it's just like if there was one thing I could do better it's sleep more um so that's something I'm kind of working on but yeah I think really self-care is just about l listening to yourself a bit more and um choosing how to spend your time with purpose rather than just doing and being endlessly busy without really questioning what it is you're doing mm. Mm. Yeah, I hear that. It can be, it can be difficult when you're your own boss and there's al always more to be done. And there's, especially if you're, if it's like, you know, nine o'clock at night and you could sit down and have a glass of wine, but also you just got this idea that you kind of want to go like sketch out a few possibilities of how it could work if you did it, it can be really hard to just be like, all right, no, I'm going to. I'm going to trust that that's going to be there tomorrow when I get, get to my desk. Yeah, I'm pretty bad at that, I must say. But I think that maybe that's maybe that's a sign that we just are so passionate about what we're doing and we love what we do. And so I don't know, I think I do have this feeling of like my life is 
I, I'm only going to live once and I, I do feel that this urgency every day to get heaps done and to do everything I want to do and uh, I don't really value rest as much as I value doing heaps of stuff. Like, yeah. yeah. So that that's that's the endless kind of wrestle. Is that an un-Australian thing that to be that way? I think Australians are generally a bit more relaxed possibly than some other cultures because we, we do have a pretty good here. You know, it's a really good quality of life. You can get by and have a really lovely life without having to hustle like crazy work-wise. So maybe there's a little bit more value placed here on relaxation and kind of holidays. Australians are big travellers as well and, and they really value a whole year spent abroad or, you know, that kind of thing. So I do think it's an Australian thing to not necessarily have balance in your life, but just to have passions beyond just commercial or work career ambition. Mm. Yeah. So do you have friends and family and colleagues that are like, what's wrong with you? Chill. Like, stop working. Why are you working again? No. You know what? I don't hang out with any of those people. Like, <laughs> I, I, I was actually just talking to a friend the other day because she um, – a relationship hasn't worked out for her and it was in the early stages anyway, but they were saying that she's too much of a workaholic. And I was like, and it was, it led her to question her current, you know, what she's doing work-wise. And I, I was like, she said, you must get this all the time. I was like, no one's ever said that to me. Like, I, which does seem like it should have happened to me, but uh, no, I just don't, I don't surround myself with those people. I just want to do all the things and just do everything. And obviously not, if I was really strung out and exhausted, I would rest, but I don't, I, I just think I surround myself with people that know that that's just me. And, um, and I think they know that it doesn't necessarily come from a place of wanting to get rich. Like I'm not like, it's, it's all passion projects and creative stuff. And I think if you're working like crazy just to make money, that's one thing. But if you're working like crazy and, and you're getting fulfillment creatively or, or, or for other reasons in terms of, you know, giving back or whatever your passions are, then that fuels you. And yes, it exhausts you, but it's got a higher meaning than just making money. So maybe that is the difference. Mm. Yeah. I relate to what you're saying. So I buy it. It makes total sense to me. Thanks. And I'm really glad that you're surrounded by supportive people um, because yeah, we, you deserve that. And whether or not it's the Australian culture to hustle in the way that you are hustling, um, you you definitely deserve to get to choose for yourself. And if you ever want to move to LA, you'd fit right in. Oh, thanks. Well, I would love to come visit you sometime. <laughs> um, can you tell me about something that you believe that you have in common with other people? So I know in our discussion before, we were talking about refugees from all different countries, and I know you're someone that's a very empathetic and connected person. Um, so is there something that either you consciously think of when you look at people who are different to you? Um, or if you were just sitting here intentionally thinking about it, that you were, that you could say, yeah, this is something that I've got in common with all of them. I think the one thing that we can all agree on is that we love our kids. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, but I think when kids are involved in any political discussion, usually the left and the right tend to see eye to eye. Um, so in terms of the refugee issue that we were talking about earlier, um, when kids are involved, I think there's a lot more empathy. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting thing that we don't extend that same empathy when people get into adulthood and you suddenly start questioning your neighbor and thinking that they could be a threat when they're 19 
when really they just were like eight years old not that long ago and so I don't know I think there's some power in in that in the interactions we have as children and and I guess how we change over time in our adult years and I think that a really great example of that is these kids that are leading the the the, um the the movement over in the states right now in terms of gun control I just think they have a unique viewpoint and people are listening to them because they don't have any other reason for saying what they're saying they're just kids and so I think we all love our kids and I think that's that's a pretty um, powerful commonality. Mm, I love that one. No one's ever said that before. Really? It's dope. It's Thanks. and it's true. I mean, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of all people and all different ages, spectrums of government, whether they're religious, not like it is. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's your young, it's your own, it's your. I think it's a. I think it actually comes biologically, which is why it's yeah. so powerful because it's not really a intellectual thing. It's like oh a young baby needs to be protected. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not like an intentional choice. It's a evolutionarily, uh, developed kind of, like you said, biology. It's like, we can't turn it off. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty powerful thing. I don't know. I, I think we, um, I think we're at our best when we're looking after like kids. Like, and I don't mean that as a parent, I just mean like, you know, if, if, if you saw a child that needed your help, if they were lost in a shopping center, pretty much every human would say, Oh, you know, where's your mommy and give that kid a cuddle. And yeah, it's, um, I don't know where that goes like later on, but I think when someone's a kid that you really, yeah, you respond to them in a very pure way. Mm. Mm. Sweet. Thanks, lady. That was awesome. You've been listening to Out of Line with Caroline Lee. Tweet me at Team Woodnote or tag me in your posts on Instagram using Out of Line Podcast and let me know what you thought of today's discussion and who you'd like to hear as a guest on Out of Line next. This episode of Out of Line was produced by me, Caroline. All sound editing, engineering, and original music composition by Jaden Lee. And a big thank you to Cat Footwear for working with Out of Line this season. Hit subscribe to get the next episode on your mobile device when it drops next week. And if you love what you heard, please whip out a review, will ya?